0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hello, Siri. Hello, Cortana. Hello, Alexa. Are you listening? Yes, this week on Download This Show, are we falling out of love with voice assistants? Plus, why Netflix is no longer sharing the love, and by love I mean passwords, and why government departments in Australia want to ban the social media service TikTok from certain phones all of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Joining us from Central Queensland University, you may know him as Professor Tech. That is how he's referred to by his friends. He also goes by the name Professor Michael Cowling. Welcome back to Download This Show. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. And I don't know what my voice was doing then. It went very high. (laughs) Puberty. Did it happen? Who can say? (laughs) Do you have children? I have children. It's true. And the other voice you're hearing is from the brilliant queens of the Drone Age podcast and senior tech journalist with Smart Company, Deegan Jones. It's been far too long. So long. It's nice to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be here. So we can talk about all of the assorted TikTok drama of the last week. So TikTok, (laughs) look, I'm not going to say it's a magnet for drama, but it kind of is. There's a few different stories that have been floating around TikTok this week. I want to start with this one. Uh, So two federal departments, federal government departments have banned TikTok uh, Ban TikTok on. It should be said on on devices that belong to them, right, What What's actually happened here?
0: Yeah. So, like you said, two government departments, are uh, federal, saying that they were going to make their stuff, delete the app off their government phones. But there's also been some backflipping on that as well, when journalists questioned this and they couldn't really answer why, um, other than just general distrust. But it's also important to note that this conversation is happening at the same time where there is actually a push in the US in Congress to ban it, not just from government devices, which has happened in some cases, but to ban it From the US entirely, so ripped out of the app stores the whole nine yards.
1: All right, so let's just talk about whether this is based in something real or if it's like a lot of politicking, Michael. So if if you just shift over to the US example, right, what are the fundamental arguments that you know, various levels of American politics have with TikTok?
2: Look, it's an interesting combination of the of the standard social media argument, which is that when you use social media, whether we're talking about TikTok or Facebook or, um, or you know, Instagram or whatever it might be, that they're collecting your data and they're using that data to build a profile of you. But it's compounded by the fact that TikTok is actually owned by a Chinese media company and uh, Chinese media companies famously often quite closely controlled by the the state. And so people are concerned not only that they're aggregating all of that data, but that that data is going offshore to China. And I guess the concern in the US in particular is what are the Chinese using that data for?
1: So how much do we actually know and i feel like this is a recurring conversation topic right there's obviously a level of of distrust around the the data that disappears into the tiktok algorithm but what do we actually know about what they do share and, and also what the d- potential dangers of that are and are not? Like, we, like, where at what point does it become overblown and at what point is like, no, this is actually something we need to be aware of, Tegan?
0: It's a really good point. I think that if you're a regular person, it's always really good to remember that, yes, on the one hand, Chinese companies do have to disclose information to the government if they are pressed to. That is very real. But at the same time, We're putting so much data into so many apps and social media apps all the time, so I think that unless you are someone who is a government official or a journalist that has a real reason to fear that... I don't think it is that much different. Um, I mean, yes, TikTok collects a lot of data, but still nowhere near as much as Facebook, which does things like your precise location and everything else that you put into it. And same with Google. But the difference here is that they're American companies. So of course there is not as much fear that is placed around it. So that xenophobia, I really do think plays into it. And at the same time, I think that we really need to use this as an opportunity to look at our own social media hygiene and what we put out there ourselves every day. It is very easy for people to track down where you live or where you are at any given moment because we've become so blasé about it. I think that what this really reminds me of, like there are probably some real fears there, but it does remind me of the ban of Huawei and ZTE, Mm. especially in the US because they're Chinese companies.
1: Yeah. And there was similar issues in the UK as well, where they were basically deciding that these companies were not going to partake in kind of crucial infrastructure related to 5G and and issues like that. Exactly. And actually, just to kind of come back to the the interaction, I guess, between government institutions and TikTok. So, we're talking about this was a story around uh, in Australia, the Department of uh, Climate Change, Energy, the Environment and Water, which is just too many words in the department, (laughs) just putting it out there. And also the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry. Again, too many words. Did they give a reason, Michael? Like, you know, we mentioned earlier that there was some backflipping, but what was their actual
2: reasoning that? That they put forward. It, it, it specifically suggests that they would not uh, say why they implemented it and why, and they refused to answer questions about why uh, they were doing this as opposed to other social media applications. But I guess, it comes down to the idea that you are using that government device, and that they do do have a certain amount of control over what you do on their government device. Because, as you said, in Australia, it's particularly about not using your government issued smartphone to browse TikTok or Facebook. And so, uh, ultimately, when they sort of flip flopped a little bit, they 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 made commentary about uh, IT policies, and we continually review our policies and what people are allowed to use on our devices.
1: I'm interested in that thing you were saying earlier about your your sort of data hygiene right and it's it's a great it's a great term it's a great concept but i also sort of wonder what it looks like in practice yeah because i think we every time we pick up a, a different social media app and this has been the case for well over a decade now there's always this like slight tension that exists under the surface which is the 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 space between convenience and oh i want that and, ah oh, yeah, if somebody directly asked me to give away my location, my name, you know, what I'm browsing, what I'm not on this, I probably wouldn't say yes. But in that moment, you're either not cognizant of the things you're giving away or you kind of are put in a position where you're just like, I don't care. I just want to click through the window and get to the thing. I don't know why you sound like that, taken in, in your mind. I mean, I assume <laughs> that's what you sound like. How do you wow. actually <laughs> – I, look, I, you know, I'm not responsible for your internal monologue. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I want to know is like how do you manage it? Because, I mean, you're so cognizant of this stuff. What, do you, what sort of choices do you make around your data hygiene?
0: Oh, a lot of the time I'm just as guilty as anybody else, no matter how much I evangelise about uh, Ah. data hygiene because I think that we can all fall into that trap of convenience. I think that you really have hit the nail on the head there.
1: I mean, it was your internal monologue, I mean, wasn't
0: it? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you really like hit the nail on the head? Uh, (laughs) We just became like Valley Girls? What what is that? You did this. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I think that we can all be very guilty of this, especially when a lot of the time these terms and clauses and things that you're agreeing to are buried in documents mm. that are really long.
1: But easy to scroll past so and easy, <laughs> So
0: easy. So I think that we could all certainly do better. But at the same time, as much as I'm saying, you know, maybe there's some xenophobia at play here and things like that, it is fair that TikTok has been caught doing a few kind of dodgy things. It has been caught spying on journalists, which it owned up to. Um, there has. I been... mean, are
1: you even a tech company if you haven't spied on I journalists? Know. I know. Mean, Uber the thing. showed us the way. That's,
0: the, that's the, what I mean. Again, an American company, everyone's doing it. It's just it's very interesting that people are up in arms when it's a Chinese company. Now, look, I know that the government has its problems, but this is not a unique case mm. at all and we're acting like it is. Look at Cambridge Analytica a few years ago. Have we forgotten that?
1: Yeah, and I guess uh, one thing is probably worth pointing out here is, is that TikTok have said, uh, in as the story kind of came out about the different government departments with too many words in their titles, <laughs> one of the things TikTok did say is there are, Uh, social media restrictions that exist on government devices that would apply to apps beyond TikTok. And obviously it's become a new story because of the TikTok connection. But just to come back to that question about digital hygiene, he says as he loses his voice entirely, but just to come back to that question about digital hygiene, Michael, do, do you kind of maintain digital hygiene? God, that's a weird
2: sentence out loud. Uh, look, I'm the same as Tegan, as, as guilty as everybody else. But I think what's more interesting is that I actually ask my students about this. I teach a class on IT and society, and whenever I ask my students, it seems to divide based on age. And of course, I've got undergrads, and so I tend to get they skew younger. And most of my students sort of shrug their shoulders, uh, similar to what you were saying I think earlier, which is that you know, it, if you're just a normal everyday person, or you know, what are you, what are you doing wrong? Does it actually matter? And I think it takes Uh, sometimes an older person to sort of be a little more concerned about what they might actually do with that data, or maybe somebody that's a little bit more uh, noteworthy. But for the majority of my students, that data hygiene question's not even something that enters their mind. And when I say to them, you know you're going to be sharing all of this data, they sort of shrug their shoulders and go, well, okay, I don't really mind. Who am I? I'm not doing anything wrong.
1: I like the idea that you have to be old enough to have done some messed up stuff. (laughs) to know that, like, I don't want that ever to exist
0: online. I think the other thing, too, here is that the algorithm, especially on TikTok, can just be delicious sometimes. So considering that a lot of that data gathering means that you have something that is so tailored to you, like deeply specific stuff a lot Mm. of the time, is hard not to get drawn in by It's like, yes, take me to cleaning talk, please.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I find it disconcerting how well TikTok, and I should also say Instagram as well, can work out, not just like who i am but the things that i'm interested in becoming i hate that how it much kno- of a little freak you are ah oh, yes it does like, <laughs> and it's like it and it's i think it's the it's the accuracy with which with which it predicts the things that i want to know more about i'm just like i hate you I hate you so much, but yes, I will watch.
2: (laughs) Look, and I think that's the interesting news story that I don't think has been covered, which is that um, okay. what Mark Fennell does is really interesting, I'm sure, but when we aggregate all of that data together and we take it offshore, is that something that we should be a little bit more concerned about, that the Chinese can actually use at a more national level to understand, uh, in this case, Australian journalists and what they they do on TikTok? Especially me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, more seriously maybe going back to the news story, government employees and what they do. Yeah,
1: Well, uh, there is a, another piece of assorted TikTok drama this week. There's a month-long test by TikTok resulting in lots of users actually having the sound removed from their videos, which has been somewhat controversial, Tegan. What's actually happened here?
0: Yeah, essentially it is doing this experiment over the course of a month to see the difference that it might make if there was some music that wasn't on the platform. Now, it looks like that this might be to do with trying to get some record deals and, and things like that, but... The issue is, is that a lot of the time it's not been licensed music that has been removed from creators' videos. It has been ones that either they do have the license for Mm. or it's actually their own voice. And so there's been creators that have seen this huge amount of their back catalogue of content that they've made themselves have the sound removed. So it's now unwatchable.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's a particularly interesting story. Uh, Mary McGillivray, who's a phenomenal online content maker and if you don't follow Mary, you should because um, Mary does great content about history and art and it's like so far up my alley, it's practically wedged and it's really great. But, But Mary was in an article in The Guardian basically saying that a lot of the audio that Mary uses is, has already been licensed and yet mm-hmm. still experiencing this. And that, that just kind of feels like the sort of thing that, you know, with the incredible algorithm we were talking about earlier, they could, oh, I don't know, sort out.
0: I feel like they definitely could sort that out. And It just feels quite disrespectful to the users. I mean, TikTok is this huge platform and that's great, but it's the users that make it. They're generating the content for it. And so when you are then essentially messing with their audience, messing with their ability to monetize, it becomes really problematic. And in some cases, they have been approached by other social media platforms with lucrative deals to maybe go exclusive with them. And they might be a little bit more convinced that they should now if TikTok is going to treat they're stuck this way.
1: Yeah. I do like that, um, The I think the real reason this became a news story, if you if you do read the article in The Guardian, if you kind of scroll halfway through, they, they sort of bury towards the back end that The the Guardian also had its audio removed. I'm like, that's how this became a story. I know how this became a story. <laughs> you noticed it. Yeah. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, culture, and assorted TikTok drama. We're actually going to draw a line under the TikTok there. In the studio this week, we have Tegan Jones from Smart Company and the Queens of the Drone Age podcast and Professor. Professor. Professor Tech is also joining us, Professor Michael Cowling from Central Queensland University. I'm Mark Fennell, and you can't have my Netflix password anymore. This has been a story that's been slowly bubbling up, Michael. Uh, Netflix, actually initially when Netflix launched, they were very pro people sharing their
2: password with other people. And now I think that era has ended, hasn't it, Michael? It has indeed. They've, they've started to make quite a bit of noise suggesting that they're going to uh, stop people from sharing their password with somebody that's not in the same household as they are. And what they're going to do to allow this is they're going to make you log into the Wi-Fi in your primary location at least once every 31 days so they can identify what your primary location is and then the idea is if you share the password with you father-in-law or or your sister or your brother, that they'll be logging in from a different location. They'll be able to notice that you're at two different locations. But it's slowly sort of, it's been building steam because people are not particularly happy with this change. And as you suggested in previous years, Netflix has actually suggested that they're okay with this. So it feels like a bit of a change of direction.
1: Well, I feel like in the early days, that's a thing you do to get lots of different people kind of experiencing the service in the hope that one day they all get their own accounts. And I think it's a very sensible sort of scaling up attitude to take. And now um Netflix is not very scaly up here really at the moment. And I think a lot of different markets have sort of reached the a plateau point.
0: Absolutely. But what I found really interesting about this as well is the fact that Netflix also backflipped a little bit on this after there was a lot of users over the weekend who were quite angry about this. And now Netflix is saying that These new rules that it put up was actually just for some test beds that it's been using these in, in Chile and a few other countries, and that they put it up by mistake um, in Australia and things like that. Now, does that mean they're not going to bring this in? No, not necessarily. Um, But we do know that in these test beds at the moment, you can still uh, share your password with uh, people outside your household, but you'll get a little fee on top of that if you want to do that. So that's kind of what they backflipped on. But Yes. Netflix has been having a bit of a hard time. We saw that it had lost uh, tons of users in Q1 and Q2 of 2022, like hundreds of thousands, and that by October, its stock price had plummeted by about 60%. So it's having a hard time.
1: What do you put that down to, Tegan?
0: I think there's a lot more competition in market now. Mm -hmm. Netflix came out as the premier streaming service in the world and it was at the top for a long time, but now we have all of these countless other platforms, you know, Busy Plus, whoever else it is, all over the world and in Australia that has really great shows, a great backlog of different movies and so they've got competition and oftentimes it's a little bit cheaper where Netflix keeps putting its prices up and then doing things like this that threatens the convenience of things like password sharing.
1: Just to come back to what they've changed, I want, I want to run a hypothetical past you, Michael. So hypothetically, uh, I, a person has Netflix in their home and um, if you go away and you watch Netflix on your laptop but it's still connected at your home and you know maybe your family's watching at home, home.
2: Would it ping you for that? It would ping you for that if uh, if it identified that the place that you were was your primary location. And so people like FIFO workers, for example, have said, well, you know, if I spend two weeks at home and then two weeks out on site, then, you know, which is my primary location? And people that travel a lot have uh, concerned about it as well. So yes, there is genuine concern from people that households today are not the same as they used to be. And the, the idea that everybody in a household lives in the same physical location all the time is probably a little bit old-fashioned for Netflix to be rolling with in 2023.
1: Is there some kind of acknowledgement from Netflix that, that, that perhaps this is an imperfect solution or is there like, no, 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 this is just what it has to be taken?
0: I mean, considering that they're now saying that it was a mistake that it went up on the website last week, I'd say that they've certainly seen the backlash mm. um, from Aussies in the very least. So maybe that they'll have to rethink it. But... I don't know. They, they haven't said that they're not going to take it past their test beds yet, so it'll be very interesting to see what they do. Uh,
1: and finally <laughs> here on Download This Show, the number of voice assistants in existence will, this year it's estimated, match global population. That means there'll be more voice, more Amazon Alexa's, more Google Assistant's, more series out there talking to us on devices. Than people. That's over 8 billion. Uh, now, I, the exact maths of that I find confusing because it's like it's predicated on you in your house having like an Amazon Alexa at home but Siri on your phone. But it does raise this interesting point of like our relationship with voice assistants. Certainly, it is a growing space. The Internet of Things, so all the different objects you have in your life that are now connected to the Internet. Your internet connected fridge you weirdo you're the one that bought it um those things are increasing they're not decreasing but what is our relationship to them and and how comfortable are we with those things michael in your life a do you have a voice assistant and b what do you actually use it for yes i have many
2: i'm, I'm meeting that statistic mark i i'm trying to tally it up in my head i i would think that i maybe have 10 voice assistants. We have one in every room, plus all of the ones on our devices.
1: Truly, you are Professor Tech. He lives <laughs> up to the title, people.
2: And I am Professor Tech. Um, and, and we use them for everything. I mean, I, I have a smart house, and so we use them to control the lights, to control the air conditioning, to control the vacuum cleaner, to control the garage door, um, you know, play music, set timers, round up the kids, all, all of those kinds of things.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Your your voice assistant rounds rounds up your children. I need to know. I need to know. <laughs> I need to know details. <laughs>
2: it attempts to round up the children by broadcasting a message. They're now getting towards teenagers, so it's not that successful, but it's an attempt <laughs> to round up the kids. I just want to know how big your
1: house is. <laughs> this, this, this situation works. What about you, Tegan? In, you know, you consume a lot of tech. Um, it, what do you actually use a voice assistant for?
0: You know, I'm actually releasing my own voice assistant, the Tegan Talks. No,
1: I'm not. Um, <laughs> uh, that's eight billion and one. Thank you
0: very much. <laughs> I am maybe the worst tech reviewer in the world in that I despise voice assistants for the most part. I just, I have fatigue with it. I'm over it. And I think a lot of it is because, and I think a lot of other people would probably agree with me here, and I at least hope so, that there's so many different ones now. And, you know, you've got Alexa, you've got Siri. All of it that it means that it really locks you into one ecosystem yes some of them talk to each other but obviously they're designed to work more perfectly with their own software and hardware um kind of connection so that's where i find it really annoying the other thing too is that i am a renter i am not a homeowner and i'm in an apartment now with smart homes it is not like the old days they do not need to be wired up to work um wireless is great but not having the best internet in Australia and with things being quite expensive, it, it's a pricey task to set up a smart home. So unless I have the whole shebang, I can't really be bothered with it when it's going to be little bits and pieces in my life that I can use it for.
1: It's it's really interesting that you say that because I at, at some point I ha- I got a, one of those Amazon Alexa things and uh, apologies if we accidentally turned on your Amazon Alexa by me <laughs> saying that and I had this... You know, we set it up and it was like there was a novelty and I think I had like a two-week period of looking at it just being like, can you hear everything? At one
0: point it could. There was a big story on that, how it was being sent back to engineers and things that were listening to it for uh, improvement purposes, but it meant that a lot of interesting moments got captured.
1: Yeah, I'll bet. And I remember just thinking, even with the protestations of of it's not listening to you, which, of course, we hear from everything, there was a point I was just like, I don't feel comfortable with you in the in the house like okay, and i know that that might seem childish or perhaps a bit luddite in nature michael as a person that has gone the other direction who has something listening in every room do you ever have that moment of looking at it going ah oh, are you Becoming sentient and listening to me.
0: <laughs> Michael says please and thank you a
2: lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. You've got to say please and thank you to your, to your assistants just in case there's a robot uprising. You've got to be ahead of the game. But, no, look, I, I don't. I think it comes down to that, that same tension that we were talking about earlier, that, that convenience versus privacy issue, right? And the convenience for me outweighs the privacy. And it's interesting, my wife has a, a love-hate relationship with the with the smart home devices, right? She she shouts at them sometimes and gets very angry at them. And she definitely doesn't say please and thank you, not as much as me. Um, but when they're not working, then she gets really upset because they are convenient. It is convenient to be able to turn off the lights without having to get up and press the switch or just holler at the voice assistant and get it to turn on the air conditioning. And so I, I we ended up with the one in every... Every room because of that convenience. And I guess, yeah, we just bury our heads when it comes to the privacy aspect.
1: I think one of the considerations I've had, because I, I use Siri to sort of make phone calls when I'm driving, right? It's perfect for that. And But I've, I've also realised that it's, it's a very limited service. Like there, you can ask it to do things, but it asks so many follow-up questions, you're just like, okay, fine, I'm going to pull over, I'm going to deal with this myself. And it did occur to me that, it, you know, the technology kind of, it's there, but it's not really there. And I did wonder, are there other ways that we sh- that are potential alternatives, like maybe you know, hand movements and things like that, that perhaps might be more efficient? Because there is also something quite involved about actually talking to a device, and and I, I think the thing that threw it into really sharp relief for me was. Um, we were talking about ChatGPT the other day on the show, and just having lengthy conversations with this online AI—that it's sort of a language service that can—they that can do incredible things. But I think it's real, and it's—it's it's fact-checking needs some work. But it's—it's it's really important thing is that it—it it really does feel like you're interacting with uh, a person. It's very good at language, and it struck me how far ahead that interaction was compared to talking to a Siri or even an Alexa. So, I guess the 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 thing I'm weighing up here is is voice assistance going to become a thing where it gets so good? that we will feel like the chat GPT experience at the moment which is very good or are there other things we can do where we sort of you know wave my hands in a certain way and that means turns the lights off you? do you think there's or is voice just going to be the direction it goes in
0: oh we're certainly going to end up with a her situation at some point I imagine but look I think there are a couple of things there I think on the one hand having hand movements and things will certainly mean that it's more inclusive mm. for people um, who are you know hard of hearing or can't speak for whatever reason I think that's great the thing that worries me about if I were to move towards that sort of system personally it's just a me thing is that means there needs to be cameras now and and look yes there are already because especially if you have um, security cameras and things in or out doors in your house uh, but I, I don't want that <laughs> I definitely don't want that something that can can constantly be looking at me in my house so I don't love it. But yeah, I think that we are probably looking towards a future where it is far more robust on the chat GPT thing. Just today, Google announced its version of that quite quickly and conveniently I'm shocked. Um, Who knew? called Bard. And so obviously with the power of Google behind that, yeah. that's going to be very interesting and where that goes. So yeah, it's, of course it's going to become more robust and at least it means that more people can use it if they want to. That's good. I might not be one of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about you, Michael? Is, is Are there alternatives like hand movements and things like that that will become more part of our life, do you think?
2: Look, I think I think it's interesting. I think we we and I say we because I think the the geeks drove it. Right, we all went towards the Star Trek future. We wanted to all be Captain Kirk on the Enterprise, talking to our our computer and it doing things for us. I think what we've worked out over the last few years is that, as you're suggesting, a combination actually makes more sense. Sometimes it makes sense to talk to the device, and sometimes it makes sense to to use your phone or your watch to drive something or some panel on the wall or a so you're suggesting marks and gestures or some hand movements, and I think ultimately we're going to push towards a combination of those things. Next,
1: next, <laughs> no, not this one.
2: Don't blow that out. Well, I, Apple's
0: been really good actually with um, those sorts of inclusivity um, things as well. There's hand gestures and taps and things that you can do on an iPhone, uh, meaning that you don't have to use it in the conventional "this is you know one size fits all" sort of way. So that's quite cool.
1: I've just decided that we're fully going to do a show, uh, an episode of Download the Show, where I have Amazon Alexa as one guest and I have Siri as the other guest and I just see if I can get them to talk to each
2: other. Oh, Should we do that? That Is that fun or is that a terrible idea? I'm
0: washing my hair
2: that week. No, you totally can if you've got, look, as somebody that has a few of them, if you've got them in the same room, you can. Can you get them to, yeah, talk, talk, to, get to talk
0: to each Don't other? Don't indulge him, Michael. Don't do this. <laughs> I really want to try
1: it. We'll call it a bonus episode. We won't do it properly. Oh, God. I, it's interesting, like, Michael, the thing you're saying about wanting to, to, it to be Star Trek. I found that ChatGPT felt like I felt like we, we'd skipped over the experience of talking to the computer and actually what we'd leapt to was to, I felt like I was talking to Data or Spock. As <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like the Even down to the things where it it it's tr- it, it feels like you're interacting with a, a presence that's trying to understand you as much as you're trying to understand it and that felt very like if you wanted to go with the Star Trek c- comparison it felt very Spock or Data.
0: You need some friends Mark or like what's Shut going up. on? Shut up!
1: I have a, lots of friends <laughs> in my life. Anyway, uh, with that low-key bullying... <laughs> Yeah, done. Uh, That is all we've got time for on the show this week. Huge thank you to Professor Tech. Thanks, Mark. Really enjoyed it. Professor Michael Cowling, rather, is from Central Queensland University and Tegan Jones, Senior Tech Journalist at Smart Company and from the Queens of the Drone Age podcast. It's always good to have you back on the show. Thank you
0: for having me back and I'll be your friend, Mark.
1: Thank you. Ah, now you come back. (laughs) Uh, If you enjoyed everything Tegan said, I highly recommend the Queens of the Drone Age podcast. It's available in all of the good places where podcasts live. And with that, I shall leave you. My name My name is Mark Fennell and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show.